All right, and we're also going to start a new series, and let me describe it to you. We're going to call it Power from the Word. My preaching time growing up was I'll just look in the Bible, find something important, and talk about it. You know, that that's basically it. Find the life-changing truths in the Word of God, live them out, and then tell people about it. That's basically my preaching strategy. So if you want to know what's my plan, my plan is this. Read the Bible, find the life-changing truths of God, live them out so you know how it actually works, and then talk about it. So that's what this is about. We're just going to be looking at some of these powerful things that I see in the Scriptures and just getting back to good old-fashioned preaching. That's basically it. So there you go. That's the idea behind this series. And this week, we're going to start at the top. We're going to talk about the greatest commandment. One of the most wonderful things that has happened is that someone asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered him. (laughs) I just think that's fantastic because I'm a bottom line guy. You know, I fall asleep during the discussion of the details and you're this one, you know, like, just tell me what's going on. I want to know what's going on. Just tell me. And so a guy asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And he doesn't give him this side with, well, you know, there's really a whole bunch of aspects of things that come together. And like Jesus didn't do that. He was like, here it is. What is the greatest commandment? We're going to look at two accounts, one from the gospel of Mark, one from the gospel of Matthew. And then we're going to try to grab hold of a holy thing. We want to, that's what we're looking for. Like, where is the power from the word of God? Where are we going to get that holy thing? So let's start with Mark. I like the account in Mark. Of course, I also like the account in Matthew. But in Mark chapter 12, 28 through 34, we see some important things here related to this question that a teacher of the law brings. So let's, let's read through the whole thing, and then we'll see what we want to pick out of there. Verse 28, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no one but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then no one dared ask him any more questions. So they didn't dare ask him any more questions because they were trying to trap him. They're trying to get him. You know, they're trying to get him to say something because back then, uh, if you just said the wrong thing, you could be crucified for it. And uh, in today's culture, we're getting closer to that, where you can just say the wrong thing and then, you know, a bunch of bad things happen. So uh, anyway, Jesus was in the process of people trying to trap him. And yet this individual makes a connection with Jesus in a powerful way. Now, incidentally, the Gospel of Mark is probably written to Gentile believers, more specifically Roman Gentile believers in Jesus, and as a tool to describe who Jesus is to Gentile people. So 
this gospel has some things in it that are different from Matthew's gospel, which was written probably primarily for Jewish people that lived in the Holy Land or the vicinity of the Holy Land, who either were converted to Christianity or who were seeking and trying to find out about that. So Mark is written with a Gentile perspective to a certain extent. And we see verse 34, just an amazing, amazing thing, where Jesus says to this teacher of the law, after he responds, yeah, you're right. Loving God with all you got is where it's at. You got to love your neighbor. You know, that's way important than all the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. And Jesus is like, yeah, you got it, man. You got it. And he says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. There in verse 34, you are not far. So this guy, teacher of the law, though probably a Jewish person, he is, as Jesus describes him, not far from the kingdom of God. What does that mean? What that means is when we understand the ways of God, when we catch the heart of God, we draw close to the kingdom of God. If we don't understand the things of God, if we're not drawing close to the heart of God, then we are far from the kingdom of God. There can be two people, you know, standing shoulder to shoulder. One can be very near to the kingdom of God, and one can be very far from the kingdom of God. And let me tell you, this greatest commandment is a very essential part of that, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is essential. This is vitally important. So, We want to love God with all we have, and and also the love here is agape. It's the God kind of love. We're to love God with the love that he has for us. We're to love our neighbors with the love God has for them. That's also agape, love your neighbor as yourself. This is agape, the God kind of love. You know, not brotherly love, not romantic love. This is the God kind of love. We're to love one another like that, you know? So what does that look like? Well, it's Obviously, this is a heart command. This isn't something you can fake. This isn't a behavioral requirement. Do this, you know, by this time, put that thing over there. You know, it's not an action command. It's a heart command. Have the heart for God that God has for you. Have the heart for others that God has for them. This is the greatest commandment. To love God and to love your neighbor. This is just amazing. It's beautiful. There's no faking it. If you love God like God loves you, then there's going to be a natural overflow of loving others because if God loves them and I love God, then my heart's going to be aligned with God and I'm going to love people like he does. God doesn't think everything we do is wonderful and great, but he loves us. And so when we look at other people, we don't have to, you know, say, oh, everything you're doing is wonderful and great. No, but we we love with a God kind of love, how God loves them, how God loves us. When we get our heart in the right place, the second commandment will flow naturally. And so I want to be in that place where I love God and I have that heart alignment with God and where Jesus could describe, you know, me as being not far from the kingdom of God. But in the book of Hebrews, there's something described that is beyond not far from the kingdom of God, but actually entering in. I want to enter in. I want to grab hold of the things of God. And, you know, and let me tell you, you know, I'm kind of speaking as like, I hope someday, but this is something that we all experience as followers of Jesus is 
walking with God, a personal relationship with the Lord. And, and I've been in times of prayer and just walking with God day by day in, in my awareness of the presence of the Lord, where you're, you're in the kingdom of God while on earth. And so I want to go to Hebrews chapter 4, let's see, verses 14 through 16, and this will show us something just amazing if we, if we grab hold of this. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us approach God's throne of grace. Uh, you know, the, the mercy seat. This is in the Holy of Holies. This is the, the throne of God. Approach that with confidence. This is not, well, you're getting near to the kingdom. If you're going into the throne room, you're in the kingdom. And I want to go into the throne room, you know, like, when we receive Holy Communion together, let's go into the throne room of God and just worship and honor God. Let's love our God. So this is essential. We need to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We need to love our neighbors as ourselves. Is vitally, vitally important because it draws us into the kingdom of God. Because, you know, this is a heart command, and the kingdom of God as we live on this earth is a heart kingdom. People who share a heart for God and a heart for others are the ones who are part of that kingdom on this earth. It's a heart kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. Now the day will come when we'll be in that kingdom in a much more tangible, much more direct way. You know, when all this stuff is over and uh, the Lord returns and then the kingdom is going to be a lot more straightforward than it is right now. But right now, we're walking in a spiritual kingdom. We're walking in a heart kingdom. We're waiting for something to be revealed in the future. But as we wait, as we anticipate the return of the Lord, we're walking in love for God and love for others. The greatest commandment, love God. And the second, which is like it, love your neighbor. So that's the account of the greatest commandment, from Mark, love God, love your neighbor with a God kind of love. Now in Matthew, we see the same thing, the same answer to the same question, but there's a few other things that we can uh, glean from that. So Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. So as I mentioned earlier, you know, Jesus being questioned, they're trying to trap him. People were trying to trap him. He saw through it, found a way around it. Now the next people up, you know, all right, we'll get him. The Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So when we see the account in Matthew, we don't have that same flavor of, you know, you're, you're coming close to the kingdom of God because you understand about the love of God. And, and, you know, we don't see that discussion with this teacher of the law. Instead, he's described as someone who came up to test him and, you know, in Mark, it definitely sounds like there was a 
an appreciation of who Jesus was and a cooperative spirit. Here, you know, the the Pharisees get together and one of them, this expert, tests him. You know, it seems more like we're still looking at this trap. So could be that Jesus wins this guy over. I'm not sure, you know, this would have taken some time, not just like the few seconds it takes to read the verses. This would have been a, a longer discussion that's kind of summarized here. But they ask him and this teacher asks him, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus gives him the same answer. You know, love the Lord your God with all you have. It's not the exact same wording, but, you know, it's the same idea. Love God with everything you have, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And since this is written to a Jewish audience rather than to a Gentile audience, we see verse 40 is referenced here and recorded here. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You value the law, you value the prophets, You value the truth of the Old Testament. Well, it all hangs on loving God like God loves you, agape kind of love, and it hangs on loving your neighbor like God loves them. You don't love your neighbor like how your neighbor loves you. You love your neighbor how God loves your neighbor. That's what this command is. And upon this hangs all the law and the prophets. You will not understand the law. You will not understand the prophets. You will not be able to keep the law. You will not be able to walk in the truths of the prophets if you do not have a grasp of both a, an intellectual and a heart grasp of the love of God, the love God has for you and then the ability to return that love to God, the love God has for others, and the ability to share in that love for others as well. Upon this hangs the law and the prophets. And I looked up the Greek word hangs, and it is probably the simplest translation of any word I've ever seen. It's just hangs. It's the same exact thing as our English word. It hangs on it. You know, that's it. So, Suspended on, held by, loving God and loving your neighbor is all the law and the prophets. The whole system is dependent on loving God with a true heart love, not just like follow this rule and this rule and this rule and then you proved it, you know, because you can fake all of that. You can go through the motions, but there's this command, a heart command, love God, love your neighbor and The whole system hangs on it. The whole system is dependent on this. So that's vitally, vitally important. It's a big statement, and it begs a very important question. What if this love is missing? If the whole structure, the whole system, we might say in in today's world, you know, if, if the whole function of the church hangs on loving God and loving your neighbor, what would happen if love for God and love for neighbor is missing? What would happen to the church since it hangs on that? What happens if loving God like he loves you and loving others like how God loves them is missing? What if that's missing from church? What if that's missing from society? What if that's missing in your heart or my heart? What happens? And, you know, I'm not just talking about if you're opposed to you know, like, oh, you know, like angry at the idea of the love of God. Instead, I think we should also be very aware of what if it has faded? What if, yeah, 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 I love God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, there, here are the 50 things I'm much, much more interested in. Oh, yeah, I love people. Sure, sure, whatever, you know, those fools. But hey, you know, like, what if it's just faded and it's no longer something of interest? It's 43rd on the, on the list of, of priorities, you know, loving God. Eh, what if this is just not there? Well, the short answer is we have a real problem. 
Like that's the short answer. We have a real problem as church. We have a real problem as individuals, and we have a real problem as society if loving God and loving others has faded into the background or if people reject it wholeheartedly or if people hate that idea, then we've got a real problem. We got a real problem. So let's talk about the church, talk about Christian people. Here's something that I've observed. You know, I mean, I don't want to make too big of a deal out of it, but I think this dynamic is out there where you have people who they want to go to heaven, but they just don't love God. They might feel, you know, kind of indifferent feelings toward God. They certainly don't want to go to hell. They'd much rather go to heaven, but they don't really care about God. They're not that interested in God. They don't really love God in any sort of tangible sense. You know, I've made the joke years ago, you know, if on, on my wife's birthday or on Valentine's Day, I was going to give her a card and, and uh, inside the card, you know, it said, I acknowledge your existence. She's not going to feel loved acknowledging the existence of God is not loving God. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is a deep, powerful, emotional, intellectual, you know, life type of love. You know, it's it takes up time in your schedule. Like, this is an important thing, not an idea in the background. So if it's missing and people still want to go to heaven... We got a mess because if people are trying to figure out how to go to heaven, but they don't love God, they're missing the most important thing that all the law and the prophets hang on, the thing that brings you near to the kingdom of God. If they're missing that part, but they're trying to find some other way, you know, behavior, religious ritual, you know, theological idea, they're trying to find some other way to get to heaven other than through the love, both receiving of and, and sharing in the love of God and then you know, cooperating with God in the love for others, trying to find some other way. It's just, it's just not going to work. It just, it's a big problem. There's no answer to figuring out how to get church, how to get your eternal destiny into a good place when you just don't love God. There's, there's no right answer there anymore because the most important thing is to love God and everything else flows out of that. So what are some signs that you may not really love God? You know what I mean? Like you probably already know if you don't, you know, like you haven't thought about God in years or whatever, or, or you know, a little bit. Anyway, what are some signs? Let me give you some signs. Worship just seems completely pointless or com- seems about you. You know what I mean? Like spending some time either being quiet by yourself and just loving God, worshiping God, speaking the praises of God, singing the praises of God, you know, in a group setting or on your own. Like, If that just seems pointless or about you, like, well, how come they don't sing songs I like better? You know, like that sort of a thing. If, if you're thinking of yourself or you just think that's just a complete waste of time, then you probably don't love God you don't want to spend any time loving God. If prayer, reading the scriptures, if serving the Lord in tangible ways in this life, if giving towards the ministries that bring the, the life-changing truths of God to this world, you know, if, if serving and giving don't seem to be motivated in your heart, then probably the love for God and love for others is missing. So what do we do? What do we do about that? Well, here's, I don't know if this is a controversial statement, but I'm going to say it. Let me know if you think it's controversial. I believe that it is just a reality, a simple reality that loving God is easy. It's easy. It's natural. It's what we were made for. 
I think it might even be unavoidable. You know, like if you really see what's going on, unless, of course, something gets between you and God. If something gets between you and God, that thing can mess it up. So I got four things written down here. I'm sure there's a whole bunch of others. What sort of sort of things can get between you and God? Well, how about bad religion? You know, like you can't see through the church to get to Jesus. <laughs> it's too much Christianity in the way to get to Jesus. You know, the bad religion can get in the way and you think you've went after the things of God and you just went after human constructs of religion and you never found God. And that's a completely different thing to love God with the love he has for you or to understand various religious structures, two completely different things. So bad religion can get in the way where you can't see Jesus through the church. You end up with boring, irrelevant, just dead religion. That's no good. You can have, you know, uh, hero worship that turns into hero failure, that turns into disillusionment, you know, like, we you know, oh, the big fancy guy did something stupid. Now my faith is shaken. Well, love God. Don't love that hero. You know, that's bad religion, hero worship. That's bad religion. You know, pointless rules and hassles, legalism, like you better do this, 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 this. Yeah. Start with loving God. Don't start with a bunch of rules to try to prove yourself to a God that you don't really trust. Instead, you gotta, you gotta find a way to get into that heart connection with God. Bad religion. How about this one? Exploitation of people. People being exploited because of their beliefs by people who have power over them in the religious hierarchy. They exploit them. Like that's potential like with giving. That's why, you know, there's a few different things at Good Hope Church for me that I want to make sure we're not exploitive. You know, I don't put pressure on people for giving. And I also don't put pressure on people for attendance. I would, I love it when people come to church here at Good Hope. I mean, specifically, love it. It warms my heart. But if if God calls somebody to go somewhere else or they're just not feeling it, I'm not going to try to talk them into it because that's where things get weird. Where I require you to show up here or I require you to give here, then something funny happens. That can become exploitation. And I don't want to have any part of that. Bad religion can be exploiting people. So we don't want anywhere down that road. Bad theology, of course. There's a, a gobs. I don't even the last 500 years, the last 2,000 years. I don't think it's the last 3,000 years. I don't know. But anyway, there's been all kinds of garbage theology that people run up against. And they can't find God because they're looking at this bad theology. So bad religion can be a real problem. Another thing that can get between you and God is just good old-fashioned sin, you know? Like you've been watching a bunch of porn, and now praying just doesn't do it for you anymore. Now trying to worship, it's or talking people talking about God, it's irritating to you because you got sin in your life. You know, maybe it's pride. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's some of the other sins, which are things like insecurity or fear, things like cowardice or laziness. You know, these are things where your heart, is pulled towards things that are against what God wants for you. You know, God doesn't want you to be a coward. That's sin. God doesn't want you to be full of lust and watching porn and, you know, be full of insecurity and fear. He doesn't want that. These are things that pull us away from the heart of God for our lives. So they can be the obvious things, you know, like stealing and murdering people and, you know, uh, just hate in your heart. You know, like there's obvious sin there, you know, uh, covetousness, wanting what other people have pride where you're measuring yourself up with other people and arrogance, all that, all that yuck. There's the obvious ones. And there's the, the ones that are, are, you know, pulling your heart away from alignment with God 
you know, like insecurity and fear, cowardice, laziness, that pulls you away from God too. So there's just that, that sin stuff can get between you and God and create a battle there. There can be significant misunderstandings. So that's the third one on my list. What can get between you and God to stop you from loving God? Bad religion. There can be sin, just misunderstandings. You believe something that's just not true. Like for example, science and faith don't mix. Maybe you think, well, yeah, but I, I, you know, I, I believe in science and, you know, logic and that sort of thing. So I don't think I can be a Christian. Yeah, you can. You know, look a little deeper. I'm firmly convinced that science and faith are not mutually exclusive. You know, I'm firmly convinced. So it might be a misunderstanding that you have. You have an intellectual angst there. But guess what? There, there's answers for that. Shoot me some questions, Pastor Mike at GoodHope.ag. If you got more questions, you know, hopefully I'll be able to engage and and answer your questions. So there's things like that, misunderstandings, science and faith don't mix. That's not actually true, but you might believe that. Another thing, you know, some people believe that because of their culture, faith in Jesus doesn't fit for them. You know, like you might think, well, I can't be proud of my Native American heritage and be a born again Christian too. Well, sure you can. Christianity is not the white man's religion. You know, it's, it's, uh, Middle Eastern religion. The Europeans were just like, yeah, really? And they received it. Anybody can do that. You know, any, any nationality, any background can receive of the love of God, love God back, love other people, learn the ways of God. You can be fully engaging in your culture and who you are and turn to Jesus. You know, we did. So anybody can do that. There's, there's not a problem with that. So there are these misunderstandings that can get between you and God. And you think God's behind something or God's excluded because of, and it's just not actually true. So bad religion, sin, misunderstandings. Another thing that can get between you and God is just hardship. Hardship can get between you and God. It can be very difficult when you're experiencing the pain and the injustice of this life. It can be very difficult to believe in a good God when you see the injustice, the pain, and you are, are hurt and broken, and you think, yeah, there's a good God. There are so many things that can get between us and God. And, you know, I don't know your story. I don't know what might be between you and God, a mix of these things and other things too. I mean, hey, it's a complicated world, but let me tell you, if you know who God is and what he's done for you, how much he cares about you and his plans for you. Unless you got something wrong in your heart, you're going to love him back. So don't let anything get in between you and God. I got something I desperately want you to believe. It's a biblical truth from Romans chapter 8. We're going to read through it. And this truth is simply this. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. So don't let it. Nothing can create a wedge. Nothing has the power to create a wedge between you and God. So don't give it that power. Things can tempt us, but they don't have the power. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. We're going to read 31 through 39. Romans 8, so powerful. What then shall we say in response to these things, the things that get in the way? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? 
No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face daily, uh, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if the greatest commandment is to love God as he loves you and to love your neighbor like how God loves your neighbor, because it's agape is the command, and nothing can separate us from the love of God through Christ, then we're in a good spot. We need to believe that, put our faith on it, and grab a hold of it so that we don't let bad religion separate us from the love of God, so that we don't let the hardships and the cruelty of life separate us from the love of God, so that we don't let our own sin and our wandering heart separate us from the love of God, so that we don't let our misunderstandings separate us from the love of God. There is nothing in this world that has that power, so let's not give it that power. We're going to be receiving Holy Communion in a little bit. I want to just talk about a few of these verses a little bit longer. Verse 32, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves us. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. This is a God that's on our side. This is a God that wants to help us. 33 and 34, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? They were dealing with injustice and pain. That was the thing that could drive a wedge between them and God, get between them and God, quiet the love of God in their hearts. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Now that no one is added, it'd be nice if they didn't. You know, this 2011 NIV, they added the no one in there kind of as like the rhetorical question. Let's answer the rhetorical question. But let me tell you, there are ones who condemn. You know, the devil condemns. Society condemn can condemn you. Your friends and family might condemn you. People could condemn. You can condemn yourself in your own heart. Don't let any of those things condemn you because Christ does not condemn you. Instead, Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Jesus is interceding for you. He's praying for you. He's trying to help you. He's, he's putting in some spiritual work to, to lift you up. So let's trust in him. Then it continues on. Oh, I got to read 37. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. Bad religion can't beat your love for God. Sin can't beat your love for God. Misunderstandings, you know, pain and hardship. No, in these things, you're more than a conqueror. You beat that. You win that battle. You were made for that. You were made to win. So go ahead and win and grab hold of it and continue in the love of God. I think Romans 8, you know, it has two really important aspects that I think in our culture sometimes we can get a little too narrow-focused. When it, when it says nothing can separate, separate you from the love of God, it, it means two things. It's talking about the love God has for you, and it's also talking about the love you have for God. You know, I've been around a while now. I'm getting old. When I was a brand-new Christian, people talked about loving God, and the songs that we sang were about loving God. 
Now people talk about how much God loves us, and the songs we sing are about how much God loves us. Now those are both true, but the greatest commandment is not to recognize how much God loves you. The greatest commandment is to love God. Now it's easy to love God when you know how much he loves you. And he loved you enough to send his son to pay the wages of sin. Because God, our God is a God of justice, not just a God of love, but a God of justice. Everyone pays. But Jesus paid the price for us when we receive that by faith. 